What a powerful statement of our Lord. The truth will set you free. What did the Lord mean when he talked about being set free? What does it mean to say that one must know the truth? For just a few minutes, I'd like to introduce our study of John chapter 8. And I'd like to begin with a passage from Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out of all the towns or to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? I'd suggest to you that was a very significant question to those disciples of his. And it is also a very significant question to those of us who are present here today. And when you think about the answers that were provided, you go to the book of John and that question functions as one of the greatest themes of this book. For instance, in John chapter 7, verse 12, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. Verses 40 and 41, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. Some said, Will Christ come out of Galilee? What you observe is, whether it's in John 7, John 8, John 9, or really the whole book, people are struggling to know who Jesus is. There's a truth on the subject. There are those who hold various views, but there's truth on this subject. But it would be a very serious mistake for a person to say, the Lord just expected everybody to believe regardless. No, the Lord provided them teaching. He provided them evidence. You know, you can just survey through a bunch of scriptures like John 5 or John 6 verse 59. We talked about he taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. Or John chapter 7 verse 14, he went up in the feast and in the temple he taught. Or you go to John chapter 7 verse 28, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple. And in our own context of John chapter 8 and verse 2, it says he went out early in the morning, he sat down and he taught them. What you observe is that Jesus went from place to place to place and he taught people who he was. He went to those Old Testament passages and he showed how he fulfilled those. What you see emerging is three different views about Christ. Oh, there's subtleties of others, but three major ones that are developing. First of all are those who are hostile to him. They want to seek his death. They hate Jesus. They hate him because of what he stands for, for who he claims to be. Last Sunday morning, we studied from John chapter 8 in those first 11 verses. And we saw there were people there who were trying to entrap Jesus by putting before him a woman caught in adultery. Then there were those who were his disciples That is, they followed Jesus wherever he went and they lived the life that he had prescribed for man to live. They were truly his disciples through thick and through thin. 
But now it's the third category I want you to take notice of. These are people who believed him, but not necessarily in him. These are the crowd of people that I have termed the almost persuadeds. And that's the target audience in John chapter 8. And in reality, for many of you, you are the target audience this morning. That is, those of you who believe that Jesus lived, Jesus died, that Jesus was in the Bible, but you are not a believer to the point where you're committed and convicted and converted. Now, I want to talk about this crowd of people. Notice, for instance, in John 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you believed in him, he gave you the right to become. You didn't become a child till you actually obeyed him. Do you remember King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 27 and 28? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. He's a believer. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You see, you wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't believe in something, and yet there are those who've failed to, at least to this point, make a commitment. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, I'd suggest to you there were a lot of people in this category. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue... For they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. The almost persuaded. And yet Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things in this passage. We're going to look at the contrast between light and darkness in verses 12 through 20. We're going to look at the contrast between life and death. In verses 21 through 30. And then we want to look at the liberty the Lord provided. Being set free versus the domination. In verses 31 through 47. Let's begin our study. And so I want you to keep your Bibles open. Let's begin at verse 12 and begin to see what the Lord is saying here. Then the Lord spoke to them again saying. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I am from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law, the testimony of two witnesses or the two men, is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. 
Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Now, as you explore what Jesus said here, you notice one of the very first things he states is, I am the light of the world. This is among the many I am's of Jesus in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. We could go on and on. Jesus is saying, I am the light. That's true. That's a part of the truth. You see, the figure of light versus darkness is found several times through the account of John. Just for a moment, explore some of these. We're not going to read all the details of each of them. But Jesus said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This dark world was not appreciating who Jesus really was. The truth is, he was the Son of God. In chapter 3, verse 19, and this is condemnation that light isn't coming to the world. And the world loved, men loved darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. The worldly people didn't want the light to expose their wickedness. Chapter 9 and verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. In chapter 12, verse 35, he talks about, while I'm with you, I'm going to be the light. But the passage that to me just really draws our attention is what John wrote in his little short general epistle. He said, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The God of heaven is light. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Jesus is light. He walks in light. Darkness is in the other realm. With light, one can know where he's going. And see, that's really what Jesus was trying to say to them. The truth is, I know who I am and I know where I'm going. You do not know who I am, nor do you know where I'm going. Truth. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I suggest to you the very first truth that you establish is there's a difference between light and darkness. And Jesus is the light. He knows where he's going. And if you and I want to go to heaven, we're going to have to follow him. Remember John 14 and verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes into the Father except through me. And again, I could go through and look at many of these other passages, but Jesus knows where he is going. And John, or Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Now let's move to verses 21 through 30 and look at the contrast the Lord is going to use with life versus death. 
And then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said to them, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak those things which I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things which please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now, as you begin to explore this, twice, or at least in two of the verses, Jesus says to them, you will die in your sins. Do you see the contrast between life and death? And he is really concerned here about their death. I think there's two different aspects that you must draw from this. First one is, they would die because they were waiting for another Messiah. They were not going to accept Jesus. They were waiting for someone else who would be the Messiah that they were looking for. And thus Jesus said, you're going to die in your sins because you're not waiting or you're not looking to me. You're waiting for someone else. He tries to tell them, I know where I am from. I am from the Father. But the second part of that is their obstinate refusal to follow him resulted in their dying unsaved. You see, there are people who will die in their sins because an invitation will be extended to them by the Lord, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, verses 29 and 30. Jesus' invitation is extended, and they're saying, we don't want it. So what's going to happen to you? You're going to die in your sins. Do you know that you can sit through a thousand sermons and never respond to the Lord's invitation, and you will die in your sins. Life versus death. But in connection with this, Jesus said that they must believe that I am He. What's that mean? That means that they must believe that He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Promised One, He said, what I have been telling you since the very beginning. You just haven't got the message, he said. Look with me again at verses 24 and 25 and then 28 and 29. 
Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He. Their question is, well, who are you? Well, I told you. Look at verses 28 and 29. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Do you know what happened? They lifted Jesus up on a cross. That's the meaning of being lifted up. And when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he shed his blood. He died. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He appeared on numerous occasions. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 records many of those. And when you get to Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, he says, This same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. They heard that. They were pricked in the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. They, therefore, that gladly received his word were baptized, and there were added unto him that day about 3,000 souls. Oh, yes. When Jesus was lifted up, they would know that he was the Son of God. See, this was a life versus death choice. I don't think sometimes we realize what's the difference between believing in Jesus and not believing in Jesus. It's life or death. John 3, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Or chapter 5, verse 24, He said, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and is not coming to judgment, but is passed from death into life. Oh, you, you, you change places you see, before, if you're not a believer, you're dying in your sins. On the other hand, once you believe in Him, then now you have the prospect of eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 39, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now, We've gotten to the very important section, verses 31 through 40, where the Lord promises liberty versus those who have been dominated by sin. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if Abraham, you're Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. I think it's essential here to see that believing alone was not enough. It required abiding in his word. You see, the truth is, is that the kind of faith that you and I have in Christ must be more than just superficial. Oh, I could go to a lot of passages to talk to you about that. Oh, you remember James chapter 2? A man who says he has faith but has no works. And James asked the question, can that faith save him? They said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Really? Did you forget about the Egyptians? Did you forget about the Assyrians? Did you forget about the Babylonians? And what about who's in control now? You're not. The Romans are. You see, these people were delusional both physically and spiritually. In their own minds, they were free, and yet they've been in bondage numerous times physically. These people were delusional with regards to their spiritual status as well. They had in their minds, we're okay. And Jesus said, you're not okay. You're a slave of sin. You see, sin brings domination. I don't know who the author of this proverb is, but it is 100% true. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin can grab a hold of you and keep you and dominate you. You see, they were blinded to sin and its effect upon them. Just like in Proverbs 5, verse 22, Solomon writes, His own iniquities entrap the wicked man and is caught in the cords of his sin. You see, your sin starts tangling you up. Titus received a letter from Paul that said, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice how he says, serving various lusts. People don't believe it, but sin grabs a hold of them and will not turn them loose. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter is writing about people who will undermine Christians. And he's concerned that they're going to bring them back into the world. And he says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, the one, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now listen carefully. While they promise them liberty 
they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him is he also brought into bondage. Sin can grab a hold of you and hold you and keep you. I could show you a number of illustrations of that. The alcoholic, the pornographer, all these people living in that sin. And in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, he talks about being buried with Christ in baptism. But he's going to talk about people who become a slave of sin. And he tells them that they should no longer be slaves of sin in verse 6. And he says, God doesn't want you to obey the lust of sin. The key is, if the Son sets you free, you are really free. But when I look at liberty versus domination, I have to realize the Lord is only going to set free those who know the truth and obey the truth. Children of God are children of the devil. You see, that's the point that the Lord made in that last section there. He says, I know who my father is and you're doing the will of your father. In fact, if you go a little bit further, you look at verses 41 through 47 and he says, you that do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. Now you think about that for just a moment. Who is your father? If God's your father, you're going to love the son. And by the way, you'd also love your brethren. He goes on to explain to them in verse 44 that they are their father, the devil. In John 8, verse 44 and 45, he says, Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth... Why do you not believe me? What is truth? As you and I continue on, I'm going to skip a couple of passages. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What Jesus brought was the word of God. He brought the will of God. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's the truth. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the truth. That you have to be obedient to him. That's the truth. That God is only your father if you do the will of your father. Now here's the choice. Will it be light or will it be darkness? Will it be life or will it be death? Will it be liberty or will it be domination? Just like them, the Lord provides for all of us that choice. This morning you can say, I know where I have been, but I'm ready to make a commitment now. If you'll come forward when we sing the invitation song and say, I want to become a Christian, we'll let you confess your faith in Christ. And because you've repented of those sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the 
and the Father and the Spirit for the remission of your sins be added to his body, the church. And if you're a child of God living in sin and you want to come back, the Lord loves you and wants you back, wants you to be a faithful child of God. Would you come while we stand inside?